With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Honey, we're officially 100 episodes in. Wow, that's so incredible. Yeah, I mean, we've actually done close to 350 episodes, but we actually have 100 full episodes. On Tuesdays. Yes. Yeah, that's so cool. Thank you guys for listening so much. What a journey it's been. It's been, we've been through a lot of stuff in this last couple of years. Right, which is why we're taking a little bit of a break right now. Just a little one, because we got to get together for season 11. Yeah, which premieres at the end of the month. It's going to be good. We wanted to re-release some of our favorite episodes that deal with some of the topical issues we're looking at right now. You know, September is um, Recovery Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. It's Hispanic Heritage Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. And and there, there's, you know, we're talking about race in the classroom right now. And mm-hmm. people are still talking about parental alienation. So we wanted to bring you the, the episodes that deal with those topics. So that's what you're going to hear from us during the break. Thank you. And we appreciate you guys so much. Enjoy the break. Yep. Enjoy. It's kind of been a theme in my, my life has been being the only Hispanic conservative in the room. Coming from Mexico, crossing the border at three years old, not having a mom in the home, running wild for years and years and years and making it, right? I know it's not everybody's story, but it could be done. As a business owner, right, I think I'm going to hire the right person to make me the most money or to put out the best product or service, regardless of who they are, what they look like. And I'm sure not everybody's like that. But I think for the most part, people would want to do that. What if, after crossing the U.S. border with your mother... You joined the Mormon church and began to reject the cliches associated with immigrants, deciding that handouts were not for you and with hard work, anything was possible for anyone. Ever Gonzalez, podcaster and founder of Outlier HQ Media and Events Company, found that his morals and principles were better aligned with more traditional values. But what if one day there was a cultural reckoning and everywhere you looked, people were marching and calling for change? Would you stop and question the conservative ideology that was being publicly challenged? Or would you assure yourself that everyone was getting what they deserved? Hi, I'm Laura Cathcart-Robbins, and this is The Only One in the Room. In September 2018, I found myself in an all-too-familiar position. Looking around the room at the other attendees at a famed writer's retreat, I realized that I was the only black woman in the room. When I wrote about my experience for the Huffington Post something surprising happened. 24 hours after my piece went live, I had 568 direct messages in my inbox. These were messages from people of all races, ethnicities, creeds, and nationalities who had connected with my piece because they too had felt othered. These are the stories we want to share. This podcast is for anyone who has ever felt alone in a room full of people, which is to say that this podcast is for everyone. You're listening to The Only One in the Room, presented by Lipstick and Vinyl and executively produced by Christina Barcy. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to like and leave us a review of your thoughts on the show. And if you have an Only One in the Room story you'd like to share, you can DM us on Instagram at The Only One in the Room. Enjoy the show. Ever, can you please tell me what was your first concert? First concert was Aerosmith at the Forum. Ooh, that's, that's a, a great one. one. Jackal, if you remember them, one hit wonder type of a band opened up for them. Uh, I went with a couple of high school buddies, and it was amazing. Yeah, Aerosmith kind of that was their prime, right? It, um, and so I, I really enjoyed it. It was crazy. It what was year wild, was that? But, uh, so let's see. That would have been ninety. 
I think Aerosmith is still in their prime. Those guys are never going to die. They're trying. They are. Uh I saw them with Run DMC once. Oh, lucky you. Yeah, that was. So that would have been earlier, right? It was, I don't remember when it was. Yeah, it must have been earlier. And they, it was, I think it was Run DMC's concert. I think they came in for the song, The Walk Mm -hmm. This Way. But it was just electric. You know, seeing them on stage, and I—I I wasn't actually as familiar with them before the Run DMC song, so that familiarized me with them, and I became a fan from that point forward. Oh, that kind of symbolizes yeah, right. our relationship, honey. It does kind of symbolize because because <laughs> I am a complete hip hop head still, and Scott has very eclectic tastes. Well, in I music. grew up on Southern rock and roll, so yes. Aerosmith was <laughs> There's right some there. good stuff there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, It's funny you guys bring up our uh, Run DMC. They were kind of my introduction to to rock and roll, right? Where, where mm-hmm. I grew up, it was either uh, Mexican music or mm-hmm. hip-hop and rap. And right. then the first time I heard that that song, yeah. I told my I, I told my friend, that's the song I like the best. They were like, that's the worst song. <laughs> but I liked it because of the riffs and the, yeah. the guitars. And, all yeah. that. and then that kind of turned me into Aerosmith. And obviously that opened up. There you go. Else. So it's, it's kind of funny how that. Well, it's, it's almost the same then. Because mm-hmm. that, that was for me too. I was like, hey, I dig this. this well, I mean, is- I think that that was the important thing about that move in, in uh, music at that time. Because yeah. it really brought two cultures together. Well, and it's really just brilliant on the part of the record execs, it was, right? right? Mm-hmm. To to kind of do that hybrid and expose these two different audience, very, very different audiences to one type of music or the other types of music and sell more records. Possible. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I am Laura Cathcart Robbins, and this is the only one in the room, but I am never the only one in this room because, as usual, my boyfriend, producer, and co-host, Scott Slaughter, who I call Hun, is here as well. Hi, honey. Hey, honey. So Ever right now is in Austin, Texas, but for years and years. So he has he's been in where we live in in Los Angeles in Long Beach, I think, specifically. Right. Ever. Yes. that's where I'm going. And then he was in Utah for 15 years. Is that right? Correct. In St. Wow. George. Mm-hmm. And then now he's living in Austin. And honey, between the two of us, we've lived in all three of those places. Yeah, Ever. I have a long history in Utah. I was in Park City from 1989 to 2008. It's a great place out there. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time in uh, uh, Zion area, to- oh. Tokerville and, and St. George as well. When St. George was becoming a mountain bike mecca, we used to come down there uh, and spend a lot of time. I think Ever likes to mountain bike. Do you? I do, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's <laughs> and, pretty in epic. In the last several years, if, if it was big then, I mean, the, the city has put a lot of time and effort into uh, mountain bike parks and paths. And, mm. and yeah, if it's you a, go back, you won't recognize it, but you'll love it, I bet. It's a destination mountain biking area now, right? It is. Yeah. And Austin, I, I didn't live there very long. My, my ex-husband was shooting a movie there right after our son was born, so I moved there to be with him so he wouldn't miss those those first few months of his life and lived there and it was such a beautiful place Austin I I was very upset because I thought I was moving to what I knew of Texas which was very <laughs> dry and barren and flat sorry Texas but there are places that are like that in Texas and then when I got to Austin it was so lush and there was it was so artsy and Full of life, I think I would describe it as as just like beautiful and full of life. Is that what you think ever? Yeah, it, it feels like Austin is like the redheaded stepchild here in, in Texas. Yeah, uh, in a fantastic way, right? I mean, it's it has all of those beautiful things: a lot of green, a lot of water, a lot of artists, a lot of cool stuff going on. Good music, yeah, um, everything. Good food. So, and we, it's kind we, of a we, blue we oasis, there, isn't it? It is. Yeah, in a, in kind of a sea of red. That is the rest been, of Texas. I've been really spoiled with growing up in Long Beach. Long Beach is amazing in, in, in its own right. Uh, Southern Utah with the big, beautiful red mountains, and now in Austin. I mean, we've—I I don't know—I feel like I hit the jackpot when it comes to uh, where we live. Yeah, yeah, and what a cool place to bring your kids to. I'm just going to introduce you really quick, okay? So, Ever Gonzalez is a filthy capitalist with a hippie heart. He is the founder of Outlier HQ a media and events company and ever hosts and produces the outlier on air podcast 
and the Outlier Podcast Festival, which is where we met him. He is also the co-founder of the Future X Podcast Network. And I just have to say that Ever and Ariel invited me to be part of the Outliers HQ Advisory Board. And what an honor that has been. And it's so cool to just kind of sit and watch with these other creatives and and create and, you know, kind of create these spaces now virtually since we're not able to meet in person right now and still bring people together. And you do that so well, Ever. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's funny when we were coming up with names for the advisory board, right? We had a long list and then we had uh, pros and cons of who should be on. I mean, not in a negative way, just kind of, you know, what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that kind of came up with you was podcasting wise, you hadn't been in the game very long uh, compared to some of these other people, but you sure made an impact right away. (laughs) Uh, And so with that and your, you know, just your experience in, in writing and it is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Just being a, 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 an amazing creator... Obviously, it shows in, in the podcast that you do. Oh. Like, it's a no-brainer. So we brought you in, and you gladly accepted. Uh, I'd like to think gladly accepted. Uh, and it's been it's been great ever since. Oh well, thank you. And and I I just love being, you know, I'm just getting to learn so much just by being a part of it. And so I so appreciate it. And I appreciate you. And even beyond that, Scott and I just appreciate what you're doing out there. And so we're really happy you're here on the show. I'm honored to be on. So how do you identify? I, that's a great question. I don't know that I've ever thought about it that way. I, I, you know, I mean, it's going to sound cheesy, but I identify as, uh, when it comes to down to it, a son of God, mm. right? a son of God, a husband and the father. Okay. Okay. That's, that's good. So you had put together a panel that you included me on, which was amazing. And, and our friend Jay Connor, who is a prolific longtime podcaster. And there was this conversation that we had during the panel and affirmative action came up and Jay's stance and, you know, Jay, if you're listening, forgive me if I butcher this, but it was basically like, I'm taking everything I can get. And you seemed to be struck by that. Could, could you talk about that a little bit? Yes. It's funny. I always felt like well, first of all, I always played devil's advocate, right? In my interviews, in conversations with friends, with what, with my wife, uh, even if I don't believe something or I don't feel that way, I still like to throw it in just because I, I like the conversation and sometimes the debate. But but with this, I was surprised with Jay from what I know about him and listening to his shows and, and obviously his reading and respecting him quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I see him as a strong black man, influential in the community, all that stuff. And then when he said, hey, I'm taking whatever I can get, it, it struck me. And so I kind of pushed back a little bit, yeah. feeling a firm action, in my opinion, has always been a bad thing almost for mm-hmm. people like me, people like him, it, almost like an insult a little bit. Hey, we know you're not qualified, but we're going to give you these scraps. Um, and if you take it, you know, whatever. If you don't, we don't care either. And so I was surprised that somebody like him, I'm assuming – you know, obviously very proud of who he is and, and, and what he does, would would want those, in my opinion, back then, thinking scraps, right? Right. Those were, here's a job just to kind of make everybody, show everybody that, you know, we're, we're open to diversity and, and it's the only token black person, the only token Hispanic in the room. And so right. I, I always like, felt like, no, keep your job. I'm going to go do something else. And so when he said that, I... I loved it 
because I disagreed with it completely. But then we <laughs> kept talking and, and you jumped in and it was a great conversation. Mm-hmm. But at the end, he said something like, and, and help me uh, if I butcher this, but he said something like, I'm going to take everything I can get. And what was his reasoning? He Because... Because, it hasn't always been there. Right. Well, because black people have been denied so many things for so long, so many opportunities for so long to be given anything. So it's what he said was, and this was so brilliant, and I love this. He said, it's like white, it's, we're playing to a game to 100, and white people start with a 60-point advantage. Yeah. So I don't know much about golf, but I know in golf they give handicaps, Right. Yes. Scott just looked at me like, you don't know anything about golf. <laughs> don't talk about golf. <laughs> but they give you a handicap, right? Because they want to equal the playing field. Yes. And I think that's what that's what Jay was talking about, that because we start at such a disadvantage, we'll take an advantage just to then be able to show you how powerful, strong, intelligent, capable we are. But if we don't even get in the room we can't, we can't show you those things. Yeah. And I love that answer. And, but even then I wasn't very satisfied with it. I was like, let's start from scratch. And, and, and this is going to be a generational thing, right? We're not going to fix it today, but maybe our kids and their kids, right. We, we kind of level it up the right way. And, but, but I don't remember if it was that conversation or afterward, where we were talking about, you know, I guess if, if I was a husband and a father and I didn't have any other options, career-wise or school-wise, and somebody was kind of handing this out, again, in my opinion, in an insulting way, insulting way, mm-hmm. I, I would I would take it because right. I need to feed my family, right? Sure. But growing up the way I did, I've always kind of had opportunities or I created opportunities myself. Mm-hmm. So I was never in those positions where I needed to do that. Yes. Uh, but not everybody is in the same boat as me, right? I, I guess others have been in where they need to kind of take that and it's okay. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just kind of always saw it as, I think we can do better people. Come on, let's go do this. But you know, we need to feed our families as well. Right. Well, I, there's so much interesting stuff in there for me. First, I just want to tell people or, or, or offer a definition of affirmative action. It was first used in the United States in an executive order number 10925 signed by president John F. Kennedy on March 6, 1961, which included a provision that the government contractors take affirmative action to ensure that applicants are employed and employees are treated fairly during employment without regard to their race, creed, color, or national origin. And affirmative action was intended to promote opportunities of defined minority groups within a society to give them equal access to that of the majority population. So, that's that's what affirmative action started as, and I, I think it's become something different where, especially with education, there are educational institutions who will take a less qualified minority over a qualified person of the dominant culture in order to populate the class diversely. And I, I think that's probably what has given it a bad reputation in certain circles, is that less and more qualified part. But originally, it was just to create equity. Which which sounds great. Yeah. We're going to take just a quick break to tell you about a cool new product that Scott and I discovered. And we'll get back to our guest's amazing Only One story in just a minute. Tell me, do you consider yourself to be a minority? Um, No. No. So, I mean, obviously, I'm Mexican. I was born in Mexico. Mm -hmm. I, I was three years old. When we came out to California, to L.A., where we, we legally crossed the border like everybody else. My mom and, and my sister uh, crawling through the desert for a better opportunity. And so I, I've taken some hits and I obviously... Wait, I'm sorry. Some... I'm, I'm going to stop you there for a second. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. Uh, yeah. So my mom in her early 20s married, had three kids. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm, I'm the second oldest. And for whatever reason back then, obviously better opportunities uh, here in the U.S. My dad crossed first, started working, sent for us. Mm-hmm. So my mom at age 25 with two kids, we had a, 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 a we call him Coyote, a, a smuggler take mm-hmm. my mom and, and the two of us and we crossed the desert. We walked, we crawled, we did everything we could to, to get across. And looking back, right, she was 25 with two little kids. This guy could have left us in 
out in the desert. He could have, you know, killed us, raped us, whatever. Yeah. And, and uh, it was just, uh, in my opinion, the blessing that we got across without any harm. And I remember being kind of in a trunk for several hours. Wow. Uh, once we got into the U.S., uh, driving up to uh, L.A. where the rest of my family was. We get there, several months go by. My dad's like, yeah, this isn't working out. I miss my family, his mom and sisters. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back. Let's go. And my mom's like, hell no. <laughs> we, we did this. We put ourselves in danger. I'm not going back. Yeah. And he said, okay. So we left. And that was the last time I saw him. I was three years old. And so my, my mom raised us working odd jobs, right? Cleaning toilets, all that stuff. And, and it truly was kind of the American dream. She ended up throughout the years, she went to school. She did what she could. And she became a nurse. And it was, mm. it was a... Kind of a testament for, to her hard work, and she gave us all opportunities. And, and now they're my family's here in Austin. That's one of the big reasons we came out here. But uh, yeah, I, I think those. Kind oh, it's of things, wait. I'm sorry. You're in Austin because your your mom lives there. Yeah, my, my mom is here now. Oh, she that's came beautiful. Out several years ago, and she's sick now. And and uh, we're like, well, let's let's be closer to her mm. and have the grandkids around her as much as we can. And yeah. so that was one of the big reasons we came out here. I'm sorry to hear that she's not well, but that's yeah. really beautiful that you're able to go there and be with her or be near her. Sure. And my wife was, was great about it. She's like, well, okay, let's go. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so it worked, it worked out beautifully. So your mother, did she learn English here in the States? She did. And, and then you are, you were bilingual. I am, yes. I grew up uh, speaking Spanish, and obviously, like with everybody else uh, back in the early 80s, right, I learned my English from television and, and school. Right. Yeah. So tell me, because you, you mentioned before, when we were talking about affirmative action, you said that you weren't raised with to do that, like you weren't raised to look for a handout. That's not what, that's not exactly what you said, but that's what I heard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we were on welfare, right? For for several years, we were doing what we could to survive. Uh -huh. um, and, and so I don't know where my whole thinking came across, but it just as, as I get older, right, as the more I study, I just feel like I, I'm strong enough. And I think most people are strong enough to go out there and make it on their own, mm -hmm. right? And, and nothing against welfare, because when you need it, you need it. I just, I think it's horrible, this generational welfare system, right? You think or like it's a crutch? A I think it's a crutch. Mm -hmm. I think it's good for for month, you know, for several months, maybe a year, as as we kind of better ourselves, right? But right. when it comes to my mom being on welfare, and then what if I'm on welfare, my mm -hmm. kid—that's like a generational. It's broken, right? That's generational right. Uh, poverty. It's there to kind of help us in time of need, and I'm all for that. And I will give, and I will try to do my best to uh, obviously help those in need, and, and we have. But yeah, I, I think that we can. We can do it ourselves for the most part. Again, we need a, a community. We need a village to help all of us kind of get that leg up. But I, I, I distrust the government, the people in government. Mm -hmm. right? I think that they hurt the Hispanic community. I think they hurt the black community, no matter what they say. And so, so a lot of these affirmative actions, even though they're well-meaning sometimes, mm -hmm. I think it sets us back generations. And mm. so I, that's how I saw affirmative action in the beginning. I see. Right there, it, it might help some people kind of get ahead, but let's think of the whole, the mass, right? Let's uh, let's start from the beginning, and, and what does that look like? I think that's education. I think that's fathers in the home. Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, handouts when 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 needed, but not lifelong handouts. Right now, uh, and that's interesting because your father wasn't in the home with you. He was not. No. Uh, do you have a relationship with him now? I do not. I've, I've never talked to him. Okay. And would he you never do, reached out. Yeah. He, he never reached out. Oh. Would you describe your mom as a conservative? No, she's the complete opposite. She's oh. the complete opposite. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out where you came from. <laughs> like, because <laughs> you, you're someone who crossed into this country via a coyote, which, which like you said, is a smuggler, a, someone who smuggles humans. And, and then we're raised by a single mom who was on welfare who who then worked her way through and became a nurse and was able to take care of you obviously very loving i'm unclear as to like did you ever see the tv show family ties i did yes. with alex p keaton and he's yes. like this conservative among this very liberal family <laughs> yes that's how i'm picturing you right now so i'm trying to i'm trying to figure out the conservative origin well, yeah and i think i think i know where it comes from tell me um, and so not only my mom but my entire family my brothers and sisters are are not conservative in this way but i think where where i learned it was i think 
because of church, because of what I learned in in church and the people that I saw in in the Mormon church. Um, I, I was. Were you raised Catholic. Mormon? Well, no, I was Catholic up until you know ten, eleven years old. I mean, we did the whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, and then as Mormon missionaries do, they go out and they proselyte, right? They go knocking on doors trying yes. to teach the scriptures, and these two. You know, usually Mormons are two young men, right, with their white shirts and ties and all that stuff. But I, I happen to have these two retired, what we call sister missionaries, knocking on our door, right? They're, all their kids are out, out of the house. Their husbands uh, have usually passed away. And they, they go and they go proselyte. And then so these two old ladies came knocking on our door. I thought they were my grandmother's friends, so I let them in. <laughs> my grandmother comes from around the corner. She's like, who are these two white ladies sitting on my couch? Uh, it, it was pretty, pretty interesting. But uh, they kind of talked about the church, they talked about Christ, and uh, obviously being 10 years old, I didn't care, I didn't know much, but some of the things that they were saying, even though I didn't understand them, resonated with me. I, I, there was this like burning in, in mm. my in my chest, in my stomach, and I was like, whatever this is, I want, I want to learn more. Several yeah. months later, I joined the church, well, my grandmother and I joined the church. You're uh, not your I, mother? I, no, 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 no. She says she was born Catholic, she's going to die Catholic. So you were ten years old, and you 10, and yes. you joined the Mormon Church. I did. Wow. Yeah, and so I grew up in their youth program. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, they do a lot of sports, a lot of cool stuff, those type of things. And being around non broken homes was an eye opener, right? I mean, that, even at a young age, I knew that some of the things that we were doing didn't seem right. Not that we were doing anything bad. It's just I think we could do something better, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I saw fathers in the home interacting lovingly with their kids, and, yeah. You know, people having dinner together. What is that? Not watching TV all day, right? <laughs> right. Uh, not a knock against my mom. She worked all day. She sure, sure. And so it was just like this. This is what I like. And as I continued to grow and uh, develop, I just kind of leaned that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it was. You know, I don't know that the the church leans. I mean, they're conservative. I'm assuming. I actually know they're conservative, but it's not like I I feel like I'm a Republican. I'm just more conservative in my views about life and the way it should be mm-hmm. uh, but I, I don't identify your values as a, yeah, uh, i don't yeah. identify as a republican for the most part okay are, are you a republican i'm not you're not okay <laughs> just wanted to see not not that there's anything wrong with that <laughs> i have i have i would say several i actually have two republicans in my life who i just adore and nice. we have great conversations like this one i wanted to talk about race for a second because this is something i didn't know until i started doing a little bit of research the, the race categories are American Indian or Alaska Native, Asian, Black or African, Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, and European. Neither Hispanic or Latino are considered to be a race of people, and right. even ethnicity is a stretch. I always thought of it as a Latin race. That's how I've, I've grown up thinking about that. So the other thing is that Hispanic and Latino are often used interchangeably, but they're they're actually two completely different things. Um, Hispanic refers to people who speak Spanish or are descendant from Spanish-speaking populations, while Latino refers to people from who are from or descendant from people from Latin America. So again, it's more about language and culture than race. And you know, on on a lot of sites, I looked at like the U.S. Census. It's not even an, an ethnicity there. So it's like this. Did you ever did you ever see Latin History for Morons? Uh, no, I missed it. As uh, John Leguizamo, it's on Netflix. You should check it out. But oh, it, I did. The, yeah. Said, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what he talks about is are all these different people. They're so different who were conquered by people from Portugal or Spain. So Spanish was introduced into their languages, but these are mainly indigenous people from these different areas. And so now there's a Spanish speaking influence, but it. It's not necessarily they're they're not all of the same race, obviously, right, because yeah. they're they're so disparate. So that's one of the reasons I asked you how you identified. So if someone asks you what race you are, what do you say? I would say, I mean, it's not correct, but I would say Hispanic. Right? I mean, I think right, we fall under the white race, don't we? Yeah, you do uh, officially. Yeah. So, but I, so I wouldn't say, oh, I'm white. Mm-hmm. I would say I'm I'm Hispanic. And a lot, it's funny. A lot of people now don't like that word. Hispanic. Right. But, it, it has a I, negative connotation, but it yeah, shouldn't. Why? I, yeah. yeah, I don't know why. It, funny story. When I first moved to, to Southern Utah, St. George, 15 years ago, I, I, you know, I married a white girl, right? So we're, we're, we're kind of 
it, it's great. It's mm-hmm. a new mix. But uh, we were at a job function or something, and I overheard somebody talking to my wife, and she's like, "Yeah, I married a Mexican," and so because she's like, she, you know, she's just crazy and funny, and <laughs> so, yeah, I married a Mexican, and he's standing over there. And then the guy whispered, oh, you married a Mexican? Like, right. like Mexican was a bad word. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, no, why, why are you whispering the word Mexican or Hispanic? It's not a bad word. Right. That's what I am, and it's okay. Isn't that funny? I, I was telling – I was on the phone with somebody yesterday who – I've never met them, but I have a a good idea of, of what culture they come from because every time they said the word black, they whispered it as well. <laughs> and I was uh-huh. like – that's so weird. But they were at, they were consulting me as a black person, so they knew I was black. <laughs> so it was just it's like they didn't know if they were allowed to say it, maybe or even oh, you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah. So yeah, so that's that's interesting. Okay, so there there are Latinos from from Central America. They're Hispanic, Spanish speaking people. They could be one and the same, but they also could be different. Do you do you ever get lumped in with other people who are either Hispanic or Latino? I'm sure I have, and especially early on in my my life, I'm to the point where, for the most part, it doesn't matter. I'm not looking for a job. I'm not looking for acceptance into country clubs or uh, you know different things like this. Yeah. And so it it doesn't affect me. And so I, maybe I don't see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it happens all the time, but I, I don't see it, and it doesn't really matter to me. Right. Uh, one of the things that, and I think you talked about this before, because I look the way I look. Now, how, how would you describe feel, how you look? Because since it's audio, so so I'm six, you know, I'm six feet mm-hmm. uh, tall. I'm you know taller than than the average Mexican that, that we picture when we when we talk about Mexicans, mm-hmm. right? I, I talk the way I do. I don't I don't have much of an accent. I, I when I get upset, I, I it comes out <laughs> a little bit more. And and the way I carry myself, I I don't. I, I'm Mexican. I'm proud to be Mexican. I'm I'm a Mexican American. I consider myself, but I I don't walk around identifying myself as that i'm just again i i, I am who i am and i identify as a family man type mm-hmm. of deal right uh, and so that it doesn't i don't see it as much or it doesn't affect me as much and and the fact that i'm pretty confident in most of the things that i do like i don't expect if somebody does say something negative it, it just kind of rolls off my back mm-hmm. my wife gets more offended mm. uh, about stuff that is said to me or about me can you can you give me an example of something that might be said yeah, early on looking for a job in 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 St. George, which is you know back then, especially majority uh, white people uh, running things uh, there. Um, something, yeah. A lot of times when they would whisper Mexican or Hispanic, I got called uh, wetback quite you know a few times, which is kind of like our our N word. Um, yes, and so very offensive. But it, who cares? Like it, it's it, it doesn't matter as much. And so it's it's things like that that's I'm too old. And don't care enough about negative stuff, right? I, I try to focus on the positive, and I think if you do that, you attract more positive things in your life, more light, right? As opposed to, I don't get offended easily, and and I don't care as much to argue with people that are, quite frankly, stupid or ignorant, yeah. Right? I, if they ask questions, I'm more than happy to to engage in those conversations, right? About who I am, or about race, or about things like that. We've had one of the things that my wife and I like to do. We we have these dinners. Uh, at our house uh, once a month, once every other month. And we invite different couples that don't necessarily know each other, but they're connected to, to us. Mm-hmm. And we and they're from different races, different religions. And we have a lot of sometimes awkward conversations, but it's fantastic. Yeah. And now I'm looking forward to doing it here in Austin as well. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things that my friends get upset when I don't pick up the Mexican flag and fly it right and say, Hey, la raza this and la raza that because of the platform that I have. I'm more by, Hey, all of us, as opposed to just Mexican or Hispanics, right? Let's right. go do this. I'm like, Hey, all of us, let's go do this type of video. And so they, you know, I, I'm, that could be another, I'm the only one in the room right? Mm-hmm. where I didn't join those type of clubs in school because I felt that they were, a lot of them were pro Hispanic, pro Mexican, but a lot of times it was anti white too. And I'm I'm not mm. cool. I wasn't cool with that even then. Yeah. yeah, I can definitely appreciate that. Just just for a minute, I wanna to talk to you about your move to Saint George. Did tell me your wife's name again. Kelsey. Kelsey. Did you meet Kelsey in Saint George or before? No. no, we met in in California. You met in California. And is she Mormon as well? She is. Okay. Yeah. Did you meet her through the church here? Uh through a friend of church, yes. Okay. 
And then, so what, what prompted your move to St. George? We were living in Long Beach. We didn't have any kids. Uh, we were looking to kind of get a little bit more serious about starting a family. Mm. And, you know, $650,000 for one bedroom, we're like, ah, yeah. that's out of our price range right now. And so we were kind of looking around and her dad had property in, in St. George and mm. Utah. So we knew the area. We're like, let's go out there and start a family and see what, what happens. You enjoyed living there? We did. Yeah, I mean, beautiful, right? We talked about it earlier. Mm-hmm. Beautiful outdoors. Uh, it's a great family uh, city. Not a lot of job opportunities. Um, so, I mean, there's still some some negatives. Even though I'm Mormon, I didn't like that there were so many Mormons uh, <laughs> around. That's funny. Right? Um, Wait, why? Uh, the culture is a little bit different, right? I mean, being a Mormon in California is a lot different than being a Mormon in Utah. For those who don't know, Utah is, is kind of, you know, the, the church headquarters up in Salt Lake City. Sure. And so the the state is, even now, for the most part, still mostly, I, I think it's like 56, almost 60% uh, more uh, in, in the state. Obviously, that keeps going down and down. But uh, yeah, in, in small cities like St. George, it, it's, right, the gospel is what we live and try to do. But then there's also politics, just like everywhere else, mm-hmm. and different cultural things. Growing up in a small town that's Mormon is just a, a lot different than growing up in Southern California sure. and being Mormon. Yeah. I mean, so that was, that was kind of a drawback, but you but you loved everything else about living there. And, and, did, yeah. and you, it seems like you were getting to kind of live your dream, which was to be a, a dad and kind of provide that stable family system for your, for your wife and your children. Yeah. I don't think we, we would have been able to do the things that we have done the last uh, 13 years. Mm-hmm. My oldest is 13. Um, if we were in Southern California, it would have just been too much. I would have had to yeah to have a regular job, a real job, as opposed to, you know, the, this nonsense that I, that I do with outlier, right? We, we travel quite a bit yes. uh, because of it and, and, you know, it pays the bills and, and we still get to kind of have fun and do these things. And I'm, I'm home a lot. Yeah. Um, I remember there were a couple of times when job opportunities came to me and, you know, we sit down with the wife and I'm like, that's a lot of money mm-hmm. throwing at us. Should we take it? And, and uh, as we talked to the kids, I was like, listen, I'm going to, if I take this job, I'm going to be gone from eight to five, eight to six every day. Yeah. And they cried. They didn't understand that because um, right? they, they've never seen me go, you know, to an official type of a job. I've sure. always been available for their games and I, I've been a coach to most of their uh, games. And, and so it was just, we wouldn't have been able to have that lifestyle in Southern California as much as I love Southern California yeah. than we would have been in Utah. It's so cool that you get to be that for your kids. I, I was an at-home mom. I, I closed my PR company when I just the a few months before I had my first son and I have, I have two, they're 22 and 20 now, but I stayed home with them and, you know, I would do it again and again and again. It was and it's not for everybody. I understand that. But for me, it was everything to have all those moments like you're describing, like at the games and at birthday parties and sleepovers and the car rides to school, just hearing those the conversations like I loved it. Yeah. Your kids are 20 and 22 now, right? Yeah. It's fast. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't is. actually that fast. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody said it was going to be really fast. Like a lot of it went in real time, but yeah. it was all good. It was all good, you know. Even when it wasn't good, it was still good. It was better than not being there. Yeah, I, I have three right now, and and for the most part, we're still kind of my wife and I are still the center of their universe, and it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, and, but it's not going to last very long, especially with my thirteen year old. And so I'm trying to squeeze every single ounce that's left. Do it, squeeze yes. every ounce. And plus, my wife gets to do her thing too. She's a professor at a local university. Right? Oh, that's she gets wonderful. To teach, be, Kelsey instead of mom mm-hmm. uh, and and it's kind of it's been a, a good balance for yeah, us. Yeah, that's so cool. I did, I want to shift gears again. You you said something that struck me a little bit earlier about how you're seen when you walk into a room. Yeah. And you know, for me, and I've talked about this in a couple di- different interviews when when I walk into a room, any room, the first thing I am is black. Like that's that's the first assessment that that's the first thing that other people see. The second thing is female. Like those two things come before how strong I am or how intelligent I am or how fun I might be or any or warm or any of those other characteristics that I have. Those those are the two things by which I'm assessed by the dominant culture, assuming that I'm walking into a room with people of the dominant culture. 
you certainly may be assessed differently, um, one being that you're male. And, and two, without your last name, you could be racially ambiguous. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. So regarding the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, in, in the scope of race, can you tell me how it's impacted you? So personally, right, obviously trying to learn as much as I can, trying to, to support uh, where I can. Um, but, but as far as, you know, what it, what it feels like to me, Again, I I almost feel like I'm an imposter or I'm living too good of a life, right? Mm. Even though I have the uh, Hispanic last name, sometimes that works against me. Sometimes with what I believe uh, when it comes to religion and different things. But I, sometimes I walk into a room and people, you know, it's, it's weeks before they realize, oh, actually, you're you're not you're Mexican or you're Hispanic, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily always look it, but uh, right. That could be a good thing and a bad thing, and and so I, I stopped worrying about all that stuff. Right. Uh, I just kind of go and be, and if they like me, awesome. If they don't, that's okay too. Yeah. I have enough friends. Uh, type of deal. But when it comes to the Black Lives Movement, right? I, we try to be. I try to be supportive. Kind of going back to one of the points I made earlier with La Raza and like helping my Hispanic brothers and sisters, right, to mm-hmm. rise up. Yes. Um, I, I've always seen like that's somebody else's job, man. I, I want to help everybody, and but. One of the things that kind of shifted a little bit for me with, with the, all the protests and everything that's going on now with Black Lives Matter and those type of things is, yeah, I could still be like, I'm for everybody. Let's go do this. But I can still put a little bit more time and effort into different groups and different organizations that maybe need the help. I think I I pride myself in saying, no, no, I'm for, I'm for the people. I'm for everybody. Right. But... I think even the some groups in this whole the people thing that it, that is in my mind need a little bit more help than others, and so that it kind of has kind of shaken me up a little bit to to focus on specific groups and races instead of just I'm um, for everybody. Yeah. So it's like as far as race goes, you're for the human race. <laughs> that, that's right. Well, yeah. It sounds cheesy, right? But but it's true. That yeah. that's that's what I'm hearing you say, and you know it's interesting. It makes me think of. My my twenty two year old is is dyslexic, and in in school in high school he had a hard time uh, taking tests. Even with extra time, he had a hard time taking them. So we we kind of came away or came to the conclusion that if someone asked him all the questions on the math test, he could answer everything. He knew the answers. It was literally just the the written assessment was difficult for him because because of how he transposed things in his head. So I went to, not war, um, but I went to battle with the school to get his tests read to him when it, be, when it came time for tests. And this was something they were unfamiliar with and they didn't really want to do. But I was like, look, in order to level the playing field for my son, if you really want to know what he knows, you're going to have to make this accommodation. Otherwise, you're not assessing him fairly. So they ended up, um, and he got straight A's, you know, because he knew. So I wasn't trying to give give him answers or you know give him uh, an advantage that anybody else didn't have, but I wanted him to have the the same advantages as his peers, and I feel like that's what the Black Lives Matter movement is kind of. It's like we're not asking for any favors, mm-hmm. but we want to have the same advantages. Mm-hmm. And what happens is because of what I said earlier, people look at me and they see a, a black person first and then a woman. Because of that profiling, you know, I not only may I may not have an advantage in a certain situation, but my life might be in danger. And that that's what I, I feel Black Lives Matter is, you know, there's that um, uh, Michael Che from Saturday Night Live. He's like, we're not saying Black Lives Matter more. Yeah. We're just saying Black Lives Matter. <laughs> Can yeah. we just agree on that? And I think that's that's where it is. And, and I think the world yeah. is, is taking notice too now. Yes. Right? I mean, I, I think I don't, especially being from or, or living in, in Utah for so long, when I hear people say all lives matter, mm-hmm. right? I don't automatically think they're racist, but, but because I know those, I know those people. Yeah. They just, they don't, they don't quite understand that what Black Lives Matter is saying, right? Sure. Um, they're just saying, yeah, yeah, no, we, we get it. But, but let's just say all lives matter. I, I, I feel like um, 
I, I don't know. I, I need to, we need to give them a little bit more uh, understanding and open up that, that dialogue because now they're listening for the first time. It feels like in a long time, if ever, they're listening. Mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, on our panel discussion that we were uh, that we had a, a while back in our uh, the outlier uh, panel discussion, something like um, you know, I don't remember if it was you or Jay saying, "Listen, white people, I'm tired. You guys figure it out." Yeah, like. But I think that's the wrong approach. Maybe finally they're listening, so let's 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 open up and let's educate and let's give what we can. I know we're tired. I know we're we're done talking about this, but but I think now that we have everybody's attention, let's go do this. Yeah, let's well, go and, and and help them understand why yes, all lives matter, but Black lives matter and what it means and how it works. Right. Um, and, and so anyway, that's that's when I hear those type of things, I I. I I see both sides. Sure. I mean, not not that I agree with the all lives matter uh, argument, but I can see why they're confused about why they say something like that. Yeah, and 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 so can I. In all fairness, I I can absolutely see that. And you know, the the answer about educating people or the question of it is, I, it's very well taken. I I take your point. I can just speak from somebody who's been doing a lot of educating since yeah. I was nineteen years old. I'm exhausted. Yeah, I bet. And it's. If since all the material is available right now and there are white allies who are willing to educate other white people, I'm very much in favor of white people gathering and figuring out stuff for themselves. I just have a couple more questions. Do you identify as a person of color? I know you said that you didn't know if you identified as a minority. Do you identify as a person of color? I guess if I'm sitting here and literally thinking about it, yes, but no. I mean, I, I walk around because nothing... You know, I mean, I, I'm sure I get racially profiled, and I have in the past, but mm-hmm. it doesn't affect me. Uh, right. And I, I think I've lived a, such a charmed life that yes. I almost feel guilty that I don't. But no, I, I don't I don't identify that. And if you're not a person of color, do you think it's okay to be proud of your race? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Why yeah. not? Absolutely. Okay. And last question is, <laughs> this is probably a bad last question. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that America is systemically racist? Yes. You do? I do. Okay. And I think there are, there are aspects in life and government and, and organizations that absolutely are, yes. Okay. But, but yeah. on the flip side, mm-hmm. I think there's still opportunity for just about all of us. Right. Right. right? I mean, right. as a business owner, right, I think I'm going to hire the right person to make me the most money or to put out the best product or service, regardless of who they are, what they look like. And I'm sure not, not everybody's like that. And that's, I would be naive to think that everybody feels that way. But I think for the most part, people would want to do that. So uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, One would there, hope. There, there, there are issues, but uh, overall, I think that, you know, I mean, coming from Mexico, crossing the border at three years old, not having a mom in the home, running wild for years and years and years and making it right. I, I know it's not everybody's story, but it could be done. I just think, I just think, I, two things that I think that we need to do in, in America. Keep more families together as, as much as we possibly can, whatever. I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that looks like, right, other than a mother and a father or you know, whatever. Two two parents. I don't care if it's uh, a, a father and a father or mother and mother. Yeah. Two parents at home mm-hmm. with the kids. I think that's going to help us. I think education is going to help us. Yes, I agree. And then I, I lied. That's not my last question. Um, your children, what are you teaching them about race? How do you explain what's happening right now with Black Lives Matter? Yeah, we're, we're open with them. Um, You are? With with everything that's going on. Yeah, we, we talk about, uh, you know, in in their terms, how there are bad people in the world that don't like people that look like them or, or, or people that are black or gay or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we're, we try to keep it as straight as possible. Uh, kind of just the same conversation we're having with them about, you know, sex and, and those things we, we we talk we're open about those things and so we're we're trying to help them understand that the world that we're living in in saint george was a beautiful little bubble ah uh, yes and one of the concerns that i had was my wonderful kids growing up in this bubble mm. of not seeing or feeling or being friends with other people that are not white and Mormon. Again, mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends that are white and Mormon. They're amazing. Right. But I want more. Yeah. You want true so, diversity. Yeah. And we're like, I grew up like my wife grew up. Um, and I think that shaped who, who we are and we kind of like who we are. 
Uh, and so I want the same for my kids, mm-hmm. right? I don't want them to feel like they can't compete or they're, you know, they, they only have white, straight, conservative uh, friends. I want them to have friends of all different backgrounds. And so the, uh, the mother being uh, a big reason why we came out here, but uh, also being able to give our kids uh, a fighting chance uh, is, is up close too. Well, and I got to tell you, the consensus among everybody that I speak to is the best way to prepare your children for a diverse world is who you have at your dinner table. And it sounds like you and your wife have been doing that. So bravo for that, for bringing in those conversations and different types of people. That's that's how they learn. It's what you model. It's it's not as much what you tell them or what books they read. Um, But they're going to learn from those dinner table conversations. So... That, that made me very happy when I heard you talking about that. Good. What's next for, for you and for Outliers? Yeah, we're, we, obviously this pandemic kind of uh, cleared our slate here for uh, in-person events. We have three uh, events a year. Uh, we had our one in Salt Lake City, uh, face-to-face, but then May, which you were a part of, mm-hmm. uh, we we're supposed to be in Columbus, but we took a virtual the one September, we were supposed to be in the Northeast, but we're taking a virtual. Yeah. And then we'll see where we're at in um, in 2021. But right. uh, yeah, we're, we're going to continue to have these these virtual festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, because I enjoy them myself, right? I, I like hanging out with people like you and, yeah. and that we have uh, speak. And then just the, the, the audience is, 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 is a pretty good group. And, and I, I truly, truly enjoy it. And even if we weren't making any money, I'd still be doing this just because it's so much fun. Yeah, well, and you make it, You, I know you work hard to make it so accessible for everybody, and it doesn't go unnoticed. It's really appreciated. Uh, thank you. We yeah. just have to figure out how to get those hallway meetings, That's you know, right. like those, right. those virtual hallway meetings in between sessions, because those were so, those were gold. Yeah, as much as I love what's going on on stage, right, with yeah. the speakers and yeah. the content, yeah. it's those hallway conversations yes. you, you pointed out perfectly that matter the most to me. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Well, I mean, Scott and I took a lot from what went on stage at, at Outliers, and we took a lot of notes, and we, we employed a lot of it, because as you noted, we are new podcasters, really new then, just a few months old, so everything was gold for us. But yeah, you, you just cultivated a great environment there, and you always do such a great job, and I look forward to being a part of whatever is next in any way that I can. Well, you're a big part of Outlier, and we appreciate yeah. everything you do. Thank you, Ever. And then tell me, where can people find you in Outliers? Yeah, so website, outlierhq.com. Uh, same thing with uh, most of our, all of our social media channels, Outlier HQ. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this conversation. I think it's really important and needed, and I learned a lot, and I just really enjoyed it. So thank you, Ever. Thank you so much. Thank you. I think we could have gone for, for hours. I, yeah. I enjoy talking so much. But, <laughs> we could. Uh, no, I, I get it. Laura, this is, uh, you built something great. And I think from the very beginning, as soon as people notice it, I think they're in, they get what you're, what you're doing and what you're building. And I'm, I, I'd like to, I, I'd like to think that I'm one of your biggest advocates because I truly yeah. believe in what you do and who you are. And so thank you. Uh, let, let's keep going. Yes, we will. The only one in the room has brand new interviews for you every week. You won't want to miss our full episodes every Tuesday, Scott Talks on Wednesday, and our new Thursday series, The Now Normal. And twice per month, be sure to catch our 30-minute Sunday edition by subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Join our Only One in the Room Facebook group if you'd like to tell us about your Only One story. All of us at the Only One in the Room wish you safety and wellness.